people often wonder how much do they need to be able to start investing with? Because it's an open question. A lot of people starting out wonder, like, can I invest with $100 or a million dollars? Like, do I need to wait until I have a billion dollars to be able to invest? So you're listening to the Investing Mastermind podcast, and we're going to answer some of these questions with you today. I'm Michelle Markey. And I'm Sina Lundholt. So Sina, how much do people need to be able to start investing with as far as you think? Well, very little money. Actually, you know, you can buy shares that are very, very inexpensive. It's really like, you know, going to the grocery store. There's products in every price range. And it's the same thing at the market that's called the stock market. You can get all sorts of different products from very cheap products to very expensive products. And in another episode, we've detailed discussed that even though there's a certain price tag on things, then even though it's like a price tag of $3, it could be super expensive. And if it's a price tag of $1,000, that could actually be super cheap, which is strange to think about. But what Warren Buffett says is price is what you pay and value is what you get. And uh, if you want to listen to that episode where we talk about length in that, you can go back and listen to that. But the answer to that question is that shouldn't stop you being a billionaire. That's not necessary. You can start with, you know, only a few dollars. What you need to think about is that the broker, at least here in a lot of European countries, wants a fee. So here you'll have to pay a fee. And that might mean that you want to come in with maybe what's equivalent to something like a thousand dollars or something like that to make the fees be fair. But again, you don't even need to do that. If you are just getting started, please do get started and not let money be the barrier. Yeah. And at least in America, you have way more freedom to be able to do anything in your brokerage account. So we are very fortunate in America to have several options. You could even invest with as low as one penny. And I know that might sound ridiculous, like, oh, one penny is nothing. But if you're scared, if you don't know what you're doing and you're like, I, I like you don't even know where to start and you just want to see what it will feel like if you invest a single penny, you could do that. Like if you go to Fidelity or another brokerage account that has zero commissions, and no fees to have an account open, like you can invest a single penny into an index fund, let's say that has a minimum investment of a penny and they charge you like very low fees and that fee would be taken out of what's invested over the course of a year. So you have the ability, if you really wanted to, to just put say a single penny in an S&P 500 index fund and see what it feels like. You go through the steps when you go, you press the trade button and then you go put, I only have a penny in my account and then you invest in that mutual fund. And it might sound very silly, but if you just need to go through the motion just to get yourself over the hump, I think a penny is very low risk. Like you can walk on the sidewalk and find a penny. So like you're at almost zero risk with that single penny, but if you want to say buy a stock, let's say, let's say you go to Starbucks every day and you're like, oh, I wish I could buy a share of Starbucks, but I don't even have $90 that I can afford. There's something called a stock slice or a fractional share that brokerages like Schwab offer that you could invest as little as $5 into a slice of a Starbucks share, let's say. So you're only getting $5 worth of what's otherwise normally a $90 share. So you're getting a fraction of a share, 
but that's the bare minimum that you can still invest in say Starbucks. So if you're used to getting a $5 mocha, you could get a $5 slice of Starbucks. So just think of it instead of getting your morning coffee, putting that money instead to investing in Starbucks as just an example. So you could do that with that little, but realistically, I say these kind of silly low example amounts is just what's possible. Like if you have almost no money to your name, you could get started. If you're a kid, you're, let's say you're 10 years old, you just want to get started. You can do that. Like it's, there's hardly anything stopping you. And realistically, what I would say is if you are, let's say 18 and you are opening up your Roth IRA, maybe gather a hundred bucks or a thousand, you know, gather some of that birthday and holiday money that you've been given. And if you can get some more, then you can buy a few shares of something. Like, let's say you like Apple products. You might need a thousand bucks if you want to buy five shares of Apple. So keep that in mind. If you know, you want to own some shares, like you don't have to own that many, but just start with, and like I said, with mutual funds, a lot of them have close to zero that you need to start with investing. Some are more like with Vanguard, you might need to have $3,000 to be able to get started in some of their low cost index funds. So there are some barriers still, but you definitely have plenty of options if you just want to get started in the US. Yeah. And there's so much I want to unwrap in what you said here, Michelle. So first of all, a question I have just to to understand it better. In the beginning, were you talking about penny stocks or were you talking about something else when you said you don't you only need a penny? Oh no, no. Penny stocks are a whole different ball game. So I'm not trying to recommend penny stocks to anybody. Like what I'm saying is you can put a single penny in a mutual fund, maybe an ETF, but definitely I've seen mutual funds from Fidelity and Schwab and Vanguard that potentially you could invest very low amounts in. I think, like I said, with Vanguard, they tend to have higher minimums, but potentially with other brokerages, you can invest with as little as a penny. So I'm definitely not talking about penny stocks. There could be some penny stocks that maybe you can buy a share for five cents, but that unlike the S&P 500 index fund is extremely risky. Like if you don't know what you're doing with penny stocks, I would not just gamble in many ways. Penny stocks are kind of like gambling and you could listen to actually the invested podcast with Danielle and Phil town. They not too long ago talked about penny stocks and kind of like the pros and cons of if you were to invest in penny stocks. So I'm definitely not trying to encourage anybody to try out investing with penny stocks because you don't even know if the company will be a going concern in the coming months, years. So don't invest in something you don't know what it is. Yeah, 100% agree. I just wanted to make sure that it was clear to everyone out there what you meant by as little as a penny. And it's mutual funds. So great. I really liked what you were talking about earlier about the Starbucks coffee. Instead of buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks, you could potentially buy a fractional share. And here in Europe, Fractional shares are available at, for example, International Brokers, which is an American brokerage firm, but have subsidiaries all over the world. I know it's in Asia as well. And one of the brokers that's available in most parts of the world, if not the one. One thing that the European Union came out with recently, actually last year, about a year ago, was some guidance on fractional shares because ESMA, 
which is European Securities and Markets Authority, which is EU's financial markets regulator, actually recommends that brokers do not use the words fractional share. And it is the reason for that is because you actually you don't buy shares in the company. You buy a derivative that then tracks that company and the share price of that business that you're buying into. Oh. So the recommendation in the EU is to call it something different. I can see that international brokers is still calling it fractional shares in their advertisements. So even though the EU came out with this a year ago, I don't think that they're necessarily following that, you know, statement or that the EU would prefer that brokers do not use that. And it is to protect consumers because if the consumers believe that they're actually buying a share in a business, but in reality, they're buying a derivative, there is something to it. It is important to know that, mm -hmm. that they're buying a synthetic product rather than the stock with its intrinsic value. And that's something that's, of course, important to know before you buy fractional shares. Mm -hmm. But it is definitely a great way. I, I also think, you know, Michelle, what you talked about was that you could save your money. And again, instead of buying that cappuccino at Starbucks, you could actually put that $5 into some savings, and then at some point actually be able to invest in Starbucks. So definitely, I think that's a great idea. And to get started, you could try out with a fractional share. It's important to know that it's not necessarily, you know, you're not necessarily taking ownership in a business by doing that. I mean, to that point, I think I read up a little bit more on that one time. And I think what they end up doing is the broker will gather a bunch of people's orders, like let's say people do want to just buy some stock slices. So, you know, Bobby might want to just put $5 and Susie might want to put $10. So they gather this and the broker is actually investing in the full share of a given company and just sort of pooling people's fractional shares. So while it can be that sort of derivative thing and it sounds scary, but if you're investing in a trustworthy broker, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Like you have to you have to do something really wrong to find a shady broker that's going to somehow maybe not let you take your money out, which there are some out there that that might be a little difficult that I've heard, like it can be difficult to get your money out. So be careful what broker you use. But if you go with one of the more reputable ones, like I said, a Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, those are pretty trustworthy international brokers, right? The, those are pretty decent ones. Like, you know, again, None of what we say is advice. We're not saying you should do anything, but if it's just for educational purposes, you could call around, like write to the customer service or call them, talk to them, find out what is it like? What does it mean? Like, don't just take our word for it. Find out on your own what you would be getting into if you were to sign up with any of these brokers we've talked about. Yeah, and 100% agree with you, Michelle, on that. It's not necessarily the derivatives themselves, but it could be the broker that's a bad place to, to shop and it's difficult to get your money out. So I definitely think that's a really important point that if you go with some of the the bigger brokers, of course, you know, you never know about, uh, we saw in 2008 what happened. So you never, ever know. But I think, you know, what we're discussing here is how to get started with only a little money. And it could be a way to dip your feet into trying something 
and then go with a well-respected broker when you're carrying out these trades. Don't go with something small. Here in, in Europe, we have something like penny stocks or where you, I wouldn't even call it invest, but speculate on small businesses that are on, it's almost like SPACs, which isn't a thing anymore, but it used to be a yeah. thing, but where you actually have, you know, you're putting your money into a very small, currently unstable business. And of course it helps the business. They're getting some money uh, to grow the business, but still you are taking some chances. So if you don't have a lot of money, the penny stocks and the new businesses that are cheap on small markets aren't necessarily the way to go, then I would definitely 100% prefer to either save my money and be able to buy one stock of something or buy a, a fractional share that tracks that stock for sure. The other thing is highly speculative. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, people can get confused as far as like, what's cheap or expensive in the stock market. And to add to that, there's some nuances that we have to think about that we like to sometimes use grocery store analogies. And here is where some things differ a little bit from a grocery store. You might think that a stock is cheap or expensive because you see the sticker price looks high. Like there could be a stock trading on the market for a thousand dollars, like Sina mentioned, and a stock trading at $5. But the $5 stock could be potentially be way overvalued compared to a stock that maybe is trading at $1,000 per share. And it's tremendous value. You're getting an amazing quality stock. So it's not the same like in the grocery store. Someone might buy a $5 normal bottle of ketchup and someone might buy a $10 organic ketchup bottle. And some people might think, oh, the $10 organic ketchup, that's the best. It's, it's like really healthy for me. I'm willing to spend double the price and it's great value. And, and that's a subjective decision. It's not quite the same in the stock market though. Just because something is double the price of something else doesn't necessarily mean the double the price of something else is, is really expensive or that it's great value. So it also involves somewhat of a judgment call again because some people might think, oh, who cares about organic? Like, I'm fine with the normal ketchup. Like, it doesn't need to be organic. It's, it's just ketchup. It's good enough, right, for everyday consumption. And yet other people might really insist on the organic ketchup is absolutely a must. That's a bit of a silly example. But when it comes to the stock market, you have to judge companies based on their fundamentals. And the way you do that is through reading about these companies, really getting to know them and understanding them. And ways that you could get started in doing that is by listening to our podcast among some of the Buffett and Munger principles we've talked about in the past, where we can give you suggestions like Sina has also mentioned recently about looking into the company's competitive advantages and what makes it continue to be able to generate strong profits and cash flows that suggests that the business is healthy and continuing to do well into the future. So there's so many things that you can look at. It's not as black and white as just paying more or less for a grocery store item. There actually would be more involved if you want to identify if something is of good quality or not in the stock market. Yeah, 100% and very, very important point also, Michelle. So, okay, so let's say that someone 
comes up to you and say, I have $10 and I would like to get started investing, what would you tell them? This is just an opinion. It doesn't mean that I'm right or that someone should listen to me, but it's something that I've shared with some of my friends. Like I've kind of pointed them in the direction of an S&P 500 index fund because they're just getting started. They're not really sure what to expect. And I just give them a menu of here are some example S&P 500 index funds. And I've actually talked about this in one of my YouTube videos as well, that you could check out example S&P 500 index funds. And I would just go with the one that has the lowest fees and has been giving you the decent returns. Like on average, a lot of them are very close, but you want to look for that combination of on average, their performance over the last 10 years or since inception is acceptable. Like, so their performance of the yearly rate of return that they're giving you on average is in line with what the S&P 500 index fund is generally performing at because some things like the SPY ETF, they have higher fees, but a slightly lower rate of return. And that's a little confusing because like similar S&P 500 index funds elsewhere that are mutual funds, not ETFs, they give you slightly better returns. So it's like, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, makes you wonder a little bit, like, why is everybody talking about the SPY ETF when it's not that great? So and that's just my opinion. So that's what I would suggest to someone who is only starting out with $10 and you want to invest in America, much like Buffett said, you're investing in the future of America when you invest in the S&P 500 index fund. Yeah. And again, not being advised, but what if somebody said, okay, now I have $10,000 to invest, would your, I can't say advice because you wouldn't advise them on anything, but would you say something different than if somebody came with $10 versus 10,000? It could be the same. Like you could be the same approach. It depends on what your investing temperament is. If you're the person who likes to be more in charge of your money, a little bit more active and a little bit more in control, you might want to consider something else because you might have more options than just only starting out with an S&P 500 index fund that anybody could invest in at any amount. So you can do more maybe with $10,000 than someone who can with only $10. So that's something to keep in mind is do you want to take advantage of more options such as investing in stocks that you might like to look into more because there could be some stocks that are trading at the $1,000 plus per share range that is only available to someone who has $10,000 lying around. So you can look at your options, but if the options are too overwhelming, because sometimes it's a paradox of choice, the more choices someone has, the more they feel frozen. They don't know how to make a decision. So it depends on the person. The person has to know themselves and has to be able to decide can I make a decision with more options available to me? And do I want to put the work in to study companies and think about which companies I believe in and what I might want to put my money to work at? Yeah, and that's definitely also something that I hear a lot is that it can be overwhelming with all the information out there on what should I do? And you end up in a situation where it's very difficult to know what you need to go with. At least, of course, people come to me when they're in that situation and they don't know, should I take this direction or that direction or this direction, I need a mentor. But I definitely think that it's important to know what temperament am I? Am I someone who likes to be more passive or do I actually want to take charge on my investments? It's important to know yourself like that before you start, because if you really don't 
like to be in and out of the market all the time, you shouldn't be doing that. You should try a more passive approach. But I just see people that are sometimes, you know, end up be more in and out of the market that, than their temperament actually is. Yeah. And the being in and out of the market could actually be worse for you. So there are some benefits to being passive. Like we're not saying anything bad about like, oh, passive sounds like you're just sitting on the sidelines. But actually, if you are a passive index fund investor, you could be doing so much better than someone who say active like me, like what I mentioned before that. Last year in 2023, the S&P 500 index fund delivered 26% returns. And I might've only settled for 5% because I had a lot of money in a high yield savings account. So me being active and more in and out of certain stocks, I did worse than a passive index fund investor. So yeah, exactly. Like we wanna just be able to refer you to that episode that I think was our last episode and you could check it out and listen to it if that would be of interest to you to uh, think about of like, there's nothing wrong with being passive. You just have to be okay with your decision. That's ultimately what this boils down to is, you know, we're not saying either path is better or worse. Like we said, it comes down to you. All right. We're coming to an end of today's episode. Do you have any finishing remarks, Michelle? Well, I think, I, I hope that that was helpful. And if anyone is looking for a mentor and coach to help guide them in some of these thought processes, visit investionista.com and you can sign up with yes. Sina <laughs> and just figure these things out. Because the thing that we should do is find a way forward. You shouldn't sit there being indecisive because that's where you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. And if you do nothing, then that's where you might come to regret. So don't regret and don't delay. Act today. <laughs> that's right. 100% agree. Education never hurts. All right. Well, with that, we're going to end the show for today and we'll be back in a week from now on Tuesday. Till next time. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday. The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice, and if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.